If you're able, would you remain standing? And in your Bibles, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1, this is the word of our Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that you bring conviction to our hearts, and we pray that even as we consider the things that you require of us, that we look to Jesus for the grace and the strength to do them. In whose name we pray, we all say, Amen. Please be seated. We must start this sermon in the same place that we start last week by doing the same thing we did last week, that is looking to Christ. We're going to be talking about parenting, and it is easy to lose sight of the foundation and the goal of parenting. It's easy to get lost in the uh, everyday of the trenches of doing parenting, of uh, the day-to-day obstacles of parenting, and we tend to forget what the goal of parenting is which is to help our children to consider Jesus in their lives. I hope that we uh, understand that though we want polite children, though we want well-educated children, though we want children that don't pick their noses um, most of the time, ultimately what we desire is children who follow the Lord. If they're... they're (laughs) If they are dumb as a doornail, and yet they love Jesus, that's the greatest thing in the world. If they can't use a fork to save their lives, but they love Jesus, that's what we are looking for. If they can't throw a ball, no, to, if their lives depend on it, but they love Jesus, that's what we are after. And it's important that we remember that that can only be accomplished by the grace of God. It is by His grace, His strength, that we can be faithful in raising our kids. When God redeemed us through the person of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, He made us new creatures. He says that the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new in Jesus Christ. And as new creatures who were recreated in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now sit in heavenly places with Jesus. Paul tells us that much in verse 6 of chapter Two, And because of that, now we are enabled by God's grace to live heavenly lives now. Often that's why we face so much opposition, because we're trying to live the life, of, the life to come now, and the world doesn't like that. So we will face opposition. And this, this other world living, this future world living, this life to come living, includes our family life. Because of Christ, the wife can submit to her husband. Because of Christ, a husband can love his wife. 
Because of Christ, a child can honor and obey his or her parents. And because of Christ, a parent will not discourage their children, but rather will raise them in the hope of the gospel. This is gospel living. That's where all living began. This is all all living ends is on the hope of the gospel. And as we even think about parenting, you may be in the place where your, your children are not doing well. And you might think, oh no, another message is going to make me feel like as bad as I can be. Well, if the Spirit convicts you, and I hope is a spiritual conviction, you are in a great place. Because conviction brings repentance, and repentance brings restoration, and restoration brings fellowship with God uh, for life eternal. So if you're in a place where your children are not doing well, if you're, if you're in a place where you feel like you're a failure as a parent, well, um, you, you're in good company, I would say. Uh, most of our parents at one point or another have felt that way. Uh, and if you haven't ever in your life felt like a failure as a, present, as a parent, maybe you need to take your job a little more seriously <laughs> than you have. But God is gracious, and He forgives, and He restores, and He enables us to follow Him regardless of where we are in our lives. So this morning we'll consider the gospel impact on parenting. And I want to start with two negatives, because that's just who I am. We're going to start with two negatives before we consider the positive of parenting. And the first negative I want us to consider from this passage, we're going to consider verse 4 of Ephesians 6 as our primary text this morning. I want you to notice that in this text, the fathers are addressed. That's true of Colossians 3.21 as well. In Colossians 3.21, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It is true that the word fathers could be generally applied to parents. However, in this context, I do believe that Paul means fathers. And the reason for that is that just in the previous verse in Ephesians 6, he used the general word for parents. And yet here in verse 4, he switches that and uses the specific word for father instead of the general word that he just used a few verses ago or a verse ago. And Paul singles out fathers because we are more likely to provoke our children. That seems to be somewhat of a universal truth, that fathers are more likely to provoke their children to wrath. So the first negative truth is this. Do not give reasons for your children to become bitter toward the Lord, toward you, or toward your parenting. Specifically, you fathers... Do not give reason, reason to your children to be bitter towards you, to your parent, and to the Lord by the way that you parent them. And we get that specifically from the text in Colossians 3.21. Even though our English translation uses the phrase, do not provoke, in Ephesians and Colossians, that phrase is translating two different Greek words. One in Ephesians, the other one in Colossians. Here in Ephesians, the word means make angry. In Colossians... A more accurate translation would be, do not embitter your children. Now, what are things that could cause our children to be embittered? What are things that we do as fathers and as parents that could cause our children to be embittered? Well, hypocrisy is a great source of 
and bitterness. If you as fathers are living a hypocritical life, expecting something from our children, but not expecting that from ourselves, then we are on the path to create bitterness in the heart of our children. Self-righteousness is a great source of bitterness. When we consider ourselves the best thing since sliced bread, when we think that in and of ourselves, we're just great and our children are so blessed to have us as their parents or their fathers. That's self-righteousness. And that is a, a source of bitterness. Conditional love is a source of bitterness. What do I mean by conditional love? Let me read a quote from a New Testament scholars, a scholar and, uh, uh, by the name of N.T. Wright uh, that will explain what it means by conditional love. He says, Obedience must never be made the condition of parental love. A love so conditioned would not deserve the name. Fathers and parents, if your love for your children is based on how well they obey you, you have not experienced the love of Christ. Because that's not how Christ loves us. Christ loves us regardless of our obedience. And He doesn't love us today more because we're more obedient today than we were yesterday. Christ loves us because He loves us. Not because of any performance on our side. So if your love for your children is based on how well they respect you, how well they behave, how well they conform to whatever norms, good or bad, that you have for them, that's not true love. That is idolatry on your part because you've placed yourself as God in their lives. And that's going to create bitterness in their hearts. So this first negative is don't parent in such a way that we engender bitterness towards you, towards your parent, and toward the Lord uh, in your children. The second negative is this. Do not exasperate your children. Do not make your children angry by the way that you parent them. Now, they might be angry at your right doing, and that's okay. That's what the rod is for. But don't cause them to be angry unnecessarily. Now, having a moving target for obedience as aspirates and frustrates children. Today, this is okay, but tomorrow is not anymore. Or today, they get away with all these things, but tomorrow, if they just blink wrongly, they, the, the wrath of God comes upon them. That is exasperating. That is frustrating. Being consistent exasperate our children. And these two negatives discourage our children from obeying us. And by implication, discourage our children from obeying the Lord. So, we got the negative out. Let's talk about the positive. And we're going to spend most of the time today in the positive, which you might say, wow, that's unlike a pastor to be doing that. Maybe I was born again this week. We'll see. Um, positively, the Christian parent raises his, raises her children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Our goal in parenting, is that our children know Jesus. And that's it. That's, that's our main goal. This, this is the, that's the target we're trying to, to help. And we find that in Ephesians 4, when Paul says, or Ephesians 6, 4, when Paul says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training in admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. That's the first word. This is the idea of nourishment, of feeding them what they need to grow up in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 128 speaks of our children being these little olive shoots around our table and that are healthy when they're being nourished, when they're being given the things that they need. So we as parents, and specifically we as 
Fathers need to feed our children what they need to grow in the Lord. And in this nourishment, there is an element of tenderness, which is in contrast with the provocation in the beginning of the verse. The only other time that this word nourishment is used is in verse 29 of the fifth chapter of Ephesians, when it talks about the way that Christ nourishes his church. Can you believe that, fathers? That the only standard that you have is a simple one, and that standard is Christ. That's it. And you nourish your children, you bring them up, the same way that Christ nourishes his church. That, that's our calling to, as parents. And in nourishing parents, and specifically fathers, are to feed their children in order for them to grow in the Lord. That's what we want, to feed them the good food that causes them to grow in the Lord. And that nourishing happens, that bringing them up happens in two ways. He says that we are to train them in the Lord. It is in the training or by the training of the Lord. And this idea here in our translation, the word training, refers primarily to what is done to the child. Is the word paideia, which has the idea of training by example, by uh, hands-on, by structures, by modeling, by spanking. And that's something we need to understand, that God has given us this great tool called spanking so that our children can grow to be more like Jesus. As I've said before, there's this mystical union between the bottom and the heart in our children <laughs> that helps them follow the Lord. As counterintuitive as it might be, the Bible actually tells us that we hate our children if we don't use the rod as an instrument of grace in their lives to cause them to grow. As we saw last week, Hebrews 12 says that a parent, a father who who does not discipline their children, is a father who doesn't love their children. And if you look at the argument of Hebrews 12, the first few verses, the first half of the chapter, the argument that the author Hebrews is making is that you look to the love of your natural father, And as you see that, you know the love of your spiritual father. Can you imagine that, guys? Our children are told, look at your father and you know what the love of God is. How much we are failing our children if we are not doing the things and believing the things and saying the things and wielding the rod as God calls us to do that. And this training involves training in righteousness. And the Lord gets to tell us What do we do? Because it is the training of the Lord. He tells us why and what we need to do. And notice that this nourishing is also in the admonition of the Lord. And this refers primarily to what is said to the child. It's a a word made of two other words, which means to set the mind straight. Nuthesia, to set the mind straight. In parenting, we set the mind of our children straight. What is said and what is done must match in, in order to provoke the children, not to provoke the children to wrath, and for you parents not to be the object of the displeasure of God. So not what we do towards our children, not just the structure, the modeling, but what we say, how we train them. They have to agree so that it's consistent there, and our children are not provoked to wrath. In order to do that, in order to do this sort of admonition, in order to do this sort of setting the mind straight, we need to keep 
God's word constantly in front of our children. Would you turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment? Do you do believe that the word of God is powerful, more powerful even than a two-edged sword, dividing between the bones and the marrow, dividing the indivisible, exposing all that is in the heart of man? Do, do you believe that the word of God is what equips us to be complete in Jesus Christ in every situation? If so, then we are going to keep that word in front of our kids every moment that we can. And we find that here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The book of Deuteronomy is, is um, outlined to match the Ten Commandments. In chapter 5, the Ten Commandments are introduced. And then in chapter 6, all the way through 12, the first commandment is, is discussed and how the first commandments were applied to God's people. And the first thing that he lists is how the Word of God should be in front of our kid as a fulfillment of the command to not have any other gods before the true God of the Bible. And the author of uh, Moses, uh, God through Moses, tells us, starting at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Have you heard that before? Isn't that what our Lord says? That the entirety of the Bible is summarized in this statement? This is Cliff Notes for the Bible. That's it. If you, if you know what is it that the Bible wants of you, what God wants of you, this is it right here. Love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being. And then what's the very next thing that he says? How are you going to execute that command? Look at verse 6. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. So that, what are these words? Here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That has to be in your heart. And then what's next? You shall teach them diligently to your children. Do you want to obey the first commandment? Keep the word of God in your heart. Teach the word of God to your children. Teach them, and I think here te the teaching is in your in. In a formal setting, for example, in 7b, in, in verse 7, the second half says, and shall, uh, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. This is the formal teaching of God's word to our children, uh, primarily accomplishing our family devotions. And that's what we all should be doing, family devotions with our kids, whatever age they are. We should be having family devotions. Uh, doesn't have to be long; can be brief. You don't want to provoke them to wrath there in trying to extend uh, extend their time more than what they can hold. Um, it should be interesting. It should be speaking to our children. It should be prepared to do that. It should be at their level. It should be interactive. It should be creative. But it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be just reading the scriptures, a verse or two, talking to them about it, and so on. You could sing a hymn, sing a song. Um, you could read a, short, a, a section of the shorter catechism or a short section of the Bible or a question of the first catechism. Or you could use the curriculum that we're using for Sunday school and kids club. You can talk to your teacher, to kids' teachers and figure out what they're talking about and use that in your family devotions. The book of Proverbs is a great model there for you to do parent instruction. Uh, 
after a meal, after dinner, is one of the best times. Everybody is, you know, trapped around the table. The younger ones are strapped into their high chairs. They can't run away, and so on. It was a great time to do that. Pray with them. Pray the Word of God. Simple little prayers. Little kids love to ask for prayer requests and to pray. If you ever taught Sunday school or kids club, you know that. Uh, any prayer request? I have a prayer. I hurt my f- my finger, uh, you know, but they want to pray. They want to be uh, given as a prayer. So t- take advantage of that tender heart to the Lord and pray with them. But teach your children in formal settings. And as we read through this passage, we see that diligence and deliberateness must mark the way we teach our children. Parenting is not an accident. Parenting, it just doesn't happen. You have to be deliberate about it. You need to be purposeful and diligent about it. But it doesn't stop there. This passage also tells us to teach our children informally. Look at again in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So not just when you're in formal settings, but throughout the day, throughout, as opportunity arises, you teach them. Fill your home with reminders of God's Word. It doesn't have to be posters everywhere, but as, as one pastor says, make sure that there's an aroma of Christ in your home. And how, many, how many of us have failed in that? You know, we walk into, people walk into our house, are they smelling Christ? And I don't mean just because you have essential oils going, but because... The, that the idea of Christ's love and dominion is just so present in the air in your home that people see, see that. Take advantage of the opportunities to apply the Word of God to the life as it happens. And that's where hypocrisy comes into place. Okay? If you're doing that to your children, you need to be doing that to yourself as well. Just to be telling them how they should behave according to the Word of God or what they should believe, and yet you're not applying that to yourself. You're provoking them to bitterness enter wrath. So repent and let the Word of God apply to your life as well. Interact with your children about God's truth. Don't be afraid of talking to them about God's truth. Look at, the, look at verse 20 and 21 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, the chapter that we are on. It says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to them, Shall say to your son, how many times have we asked little questions sent our way because it was just not the convenient time, because we were too busy, or just because we were, it was the end of a day, we were tired, and yet God sends these opportunities for us to minister the Word of God to our children, and we need to embrace them and take them, dying to self and living to Christ and for them in taking the opportunities. As your kids get older, if you uh, don't think of the the families that don't have teenagers yet, and as they move into teenage years and, uh, um, and older, you have less control when these conversations take place. Is that fair to say? That, that you're going to have less control on those conversations? So whenever they happen, take it. Now, in our house, often left, uh, uh, particularly teeny, I feel so sorry for the oldest kid of every family because they're always the guinea pig for parenting. And they're always trying things with them, and then, oops, didn't work. <laughs> you know, they always seem to get the most spankings. I don't know if that's true. That's true of our house. I don't know if it's true of you guys' house. But, you know, we're moving into the teenage years, high school. Teeny would come, 
as we are about to turn our lights off to go to sleep, and our, our books already have hit us several times as we're reading in bed, and she would walk in and just plop into a green chair in our room. We knew that that meant, okay, we're now going to talk. So prop up the bed. <laughs> but those are opportunities that we need to take in to bring the Word of God to bear in whatever conversation is going on there. This, this informal teaching includes teaching them by your example. Paul says something that's super scary to me. I don't know if I have the, 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 the bravery, courage, the courage to say this. Paul in Philippians 4, 9 says this. The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. And yet that has to be the standard. That we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you imagine that, guys? Parents in general, all of us. That people need to be able to see Christ in us. Not just in a hypocritical way, but in a way that's true and worthy of imitation. (coughs) But be careful, however, that not every situation becomes into a sermon. Right? That's not good either. You don't have to preach a sermon every time your kids answer a question because it might drive them away. You know, uh, you know, kid says, Dad, how do I get a driver's license? Well, son, I have one just prepared for this occasion. Let me tell you in 55 minutes how to do a, a, get a driver's license for the glory of God. Uh, <laughs> that's not quite what we're looking for here, but we're looking for the, the Word of God to be present in our teaching. And every opportunity you have, teach your children about the blessings of redemption. My wife is like a PhD on that, in interacting with our kids in that way. Teach your children about the blessings of redemption. Look at, again, chapter 6, verses 20 and following. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? So why are we doing this? In essence, that's the question, right? Why are we doing this? Why are we following God? Why are we to love God? Look at how the answer goes in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Why do we do these things, son? Because we are redeemed by the Lord. That's parenting at its finest. Pointing our kids to the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Why do things the way we do? Well, because Christ redeemed us. And that's where the hope is. Because in the redemption we have in Christ, we also have forgiveness of sins. We, our failures will be overcome by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want, I want to make sure that you understand that you are responsible before God to train your children. That's what Ephesians 6, 4 says. Parents, fathers, you train your children. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you train your children. Parents, you cannot ultimately delegate the training of your children to anyone else. You just can't. You cannot say, but the teacher in school said... Or the Sunday school teacher said, that's not going to cut it. It did not work for Adam. It's not going to work for you when you come before the Lord. It's not the job of the government to teach your children. And I hope you understand that. It's not the, you can do a better job than the government can to, in teaching your children. 
Nor have you fulfilled your duty to train your children by just enrolling them in a Christian school or homeschooling them. There's much more to train your children than that. Nor is the job of the church to train your children. That sounds weird to hear when we focus Sunday school and kids club and all that. But that's an hour and a half a week out of 168, right? Uh, from kindergarten to 12th grade, your kids will be in school, whatever school you have, for only 10% of their time. Do you realize that? The other time, who are they with? You. You. Or the influences that you allow into their, their lives. Parents, are you convinced that you are to be the primary influence in your children's lives? And husbands and fathers are particularly called to be spiritual leaders in the home? That has to be your conviction. You are responsible for all the influences, all the teachers, whatever. The teacher's not just a person. All the influences in your life, you're responsible about the, for those to which you you subject your kids. Now, you, you may choose to use a conventional school. You may choose to use homeschooling, whatever it is. But you are responsible for what your kids are being taught. Psalm 1, 1 says that blessed is the man that does what? Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Does not stand in the path of sinners. Does not sit in the seat of the the, the scornful. And that's what we need to work with our children, that they're not doing those things, and that we're not encourage them to doing those things by the choices that we make for them. And so that, I I offend everybody equally. Homeschooling also have outside influences, right? Do you use a curriculum of any sort? Do you have your kids in co-ops? Do you have your kids in choirs and whatever? So... I hope everybody's offended equally and I talk about the training of their children. And it is your responsibility, parents, to make sure that you know the influences in your kids' lives. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who are, you, who are their friends? What sort of entertainment are they involved? How about their phones? What are you doing about their phones? How are you... Tr- monitoring it. All of us need that kind of accountability, and our children do also. I, I said this in a pastor's group in Brazil. Don't be surprised if every man in the church, including the young ones, have used pornography on their phones. And you might say, my child will never do this. You're deceived. All of us are capable of every sin. As, uh, as Robert Chain, uh, McShane said, the seed of every sin dwells in our hearts. So what sort of accountability are we providing to our children? Now the question might arise, what if there is no Christian father? What if it's a single mom? How, what goes on there? Well, I think James 1.27 answers that. When James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. What if there's no Christian father? We step in. We step in. We help. We, 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 we become that uh, father influence 
in, in the kid's ha- uh, life. Titus 2 says that too, right? There's this, this cross-generational influence in each other's lives where older men are training younger men, older women are training younger women, so together we can grow in Christ and grow into the image of Christ. And parents, I can't say enough, your goal in training your children is that they might see Christ. Uh, Andrew, not this Andrew, but Andrew in the Bible, the apostle, the disciple Andrew, is famous for always bringing people to Jesus. He comes uh, and meets Jesus, and the first thing he does, he runs to his brother Peter and says, you need, I found the Messiah, you need to come see him. And then in John 12, we have these foreigners, these Greeks that come to Jerusalem and said, can you tell me a little more about Jesus? I can do better, Andrew says. I'm going to take you to him. And you can ask your questions directly to him. And that's our goal as parents, taking our children to Jesus. Taking our children to Jesus. And to do that, we need to know him. We need to know the scriptures. And we need to know him as our Lord, as our Savior. And we are to train our children to live a life of godliness and Wisdom. We we tend we tend to take a Proverbs twenty two six as a promise, but it's not a promise. It's just a statement of general truth, where it says, "Train up your child the way they should go," and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The way we train our children, likely that's the way they're going to follow as they get old. Now. Instead, in addition to disciplining and training your children, this very intense thing, we're called to enjoy our children. We're called to enjoy our children. Uh, in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, we're told that children are a heritage, or an inheritance from the Lord. They come as a blessing from the Lord. And only good things, every good and perfect gift, comes from the Father above, with whom there is no turning or shadow of turning. Psalm 128 talks about our children being these little olive plants planted all around our table in which we enjoy. So in the raising of your children, enjoy them as well. Enjoy them. So parents, it is your duty before God to do whatever you can to influence your children in the gospel. That's, that's, that's your calling. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But as a parent, I know what God's will is for you. And it's to raise your children in the nurture, the training, and the admonition of the Lord. And by now, as I began, some of you might be saying, I have failed miserably. I, I've missed the opportunities. My kids are grown, or my kids seem to be set in their own way. Remember, there's nobody set in their ways to the place, the point that God cannot change them. We've seen this in our own church. But if you're there, I want you to rejoice in your failure, actually. There's the best place to be in order to receive the grace of God. Parenting, like everything else in life, can only be done by losing your life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that in our weakness, His grace is magnified, and we are made strong in Him. So if you know that you have failed miserably, simply repent. Open your eyes to the grace of God. And then nurture and admonition your children the best you can, even if your children are 50 years old. 
continue to nurture and admonish them by the grace of God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are good to us and that you give us hope. Thank you that you're God to us and to our children. And Father, we hold on tight to the promises that you made in your covenant to us. We pray that all our children would love your son. We pray that all our children would follow him faithfully. Father, we pray for our children who are in rebellion currently, either open rebellion or rebellion in their hearts. We pray that you would turn them back to you. We pray that the Savior of their youth would be the Savior of their uh, older age as well. And we pray that you would continue to be faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you. So bless us. Cause us to grow as families. For the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, we all say, Amen.